Hello Habit Mechanics, it's Dr John Finn here. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. Welcome to a shorter episode of the Habit Mechanic podcast. Remember, you can listen to live episodes of the Habit Mechanic podcast inside the Habit Mechanic University app, where you can ask us questions live and we will answer you during the live streamed podcast. Inside the app, you can also access your Habit Mechanic Toolkit. You can also watch our live masterclasses and join our live Change Challenge coaching sessions. You can download the app for free. You can only learn by failing. You know, that's the key. And I fail every day and I will continue to do so. But it's what you get out of the failure that's key. So you can dwell on it, you can beat yourself up, you can regret. But I I was on LinkedIn yesterday and someone, uh, someone had a post that said, my grandma said there's two days that you shouldn't worry about yesterday and tomorrow. You know, focus on today, in other words. And I just thought it was really interesting, the wisdom of, of grandparents. But... We can certainly learn from yesterday and we can use those insights to help us to be our best tomorrow. Uh, so be our best today and be, and, and be our best tomorrow. But yeah, that, you know, I spent a lot of my teenage years playing sport. So luckily I was able to get some lessons out of those. And one of them was certainly really important in pushing me into the, into what I do today. Um, helping people to become habit mechanics through through tougher mind. And and it certainly was the start of a a very long and and substantial journey for you. Obviously um academic study and then practical application in the world of business, education and elite sport of of the things you develop with with tougher minds and you arrive today with a the habit mechanic book an Amazon bestseller and the Habit Mechanic University app and, and the Tougher Minds Consultancy. Um, how did that, the, how has, did the um, journey pa- pan out, if you like, from from your realisation? Uh, and, and then as you started to develop Tougher Minds as, a, as an organisation uh, and offer what you do now to people, how, how did that journey take shape? Yeah, so I did my dissertation in sports psychology and I actually looked at the role of imagery in golf and I was really interested in how the difference in imagery use, imagery effectiveness in very good golfers in simple terms to kind of beginner golfers. So I did a qualitative uh, dissertation on that, literally interviewing golfers, how they used imagery. Um, and then I went off to work in America via something called Camp America that people might be familiar with. So the the year after I, well, the summer after I finished my undergraduate degree, I went off to America not knowing what grades I'd got or, or anything, um, which obviously you needed to understand your grade before you could position yourself to get to the next thing you were going to do, whether that was more study or jobs, etc. And I got a really nice 
surprising email said I got a first class in my dissertation, which meant I got a two one in my degree, and which meant I could do a master's um, in sports psychology at a top you know institute. So engaging and getting interested in the sport psychology piece you know led to that dissertation being pretty good because I was genuinely interested in it and then I went to study a master's in sports psychology at a different institute with some really really groundbreaking uh, researchers really interesting people doing research for organizations like NASA and uh, supporting athletes that were winning gold medals at the Olympics and, and breaking world records. And they were they were really interested, though some of the sites were really interested in the emerging neuroscience. So the the technologies allowing us to look inside the brain in real time functional MRI scanners were becoming accessible, affordable enough for research institutes to buy them. At that time, I think the French government had invested in a lot a lot of these machines. So the papers we were reading were from French researchers. So I, I just got them more and more interested in it. And also some of those uh, psych people that were working at the highest level um, in an applied way as well, not just research. And then I got a job after my master's in professional sport, essentially. I worked for a technology company called Prozone. They were the first company in the UK to offer a solution that allowed sports teams to measure player activity on the field. So how far players had run, how many passes they made, how many tackles they made, etc. And essentially they fitted cameras into stadiums and they would uh, use that information to, to create data packages, if you like, that coaches could use to inform their practice. Arsene Wenger was a big early adopter. Uh, Clive Woodward was for the England rugby union team. So I was working with the coaches to show them how to use the software and interpret the results. And obviously that that was about measuring and monitoring behaviour ultimately. So it fit really well with my sports psych stuff. Um, the South African rugby team at the time was using it as well. And I remember I got the opportunity to analyse a guy called Percy Montgomery, who was the full, very famous South African fullback, analysing his routines, his pre-shot routines, if you like, pre-kick routines, and noticing the difference when he made successful kicks versus when he didn't. So really taking all this academic theory that I've been learning and put it into practice, that got me on some of the backroom staffs of, of um, some of these teams. It led to me wanting to learn even more. So I ended up doing a PhD um, to dig deeper into, I was interested in the transition between, you know, why um, the very best 18-year-olds, for example, in football might not always be deemed, even deemed worthy of having a professional football contract when they're, when they're 22, 23, 24 years old. Why, why is that transition from being an excellent 
a young professional athlete to an excellent seasoned professional athlete so challenging. So I did my PhD work on that, looking at the role of emotional regulation. Um, I also worked at Carnegie, um, the sports faculty of what was then Leeds Met. So Carnegie is a very prestigious sports and ed education centre, um, which was one of the original P training uh, training colleges along with Loughborough. So I got to um, teach and create applied sports psychology modules, uh, teach on, I taught physiology as well. I taught motor control. Alongside that, I was working for the Professional Golfers Association um, where I created something called the pre-shop system to make it easier for coaches to train their golfers to think and perform under pressure. And then I got the opportunity to take the, all that stuff that I'd been working on and go to work for uh, a set of schools called the Monmouth Schools, which are a, a group of private schools in Wales, probably the top private school in Wales. People call it the Welsh Hogwarts. It's that kind of place. Um, and the remit was basically, we want you to infuse performance psychology, sports psychology into the day-to-day -day lives of our, of our young people. Um, I had two years to do it, a blank piece of paper, and it was a yeah, phenomenal experience and learnt lots, managed to uh, do some really good work there. We wrote, we wrote a paper about some of that work, actually, which was interesting. But that work got a lot of press attention because it was in the build-up to London 2012. And we'll probably dig into some of these stories, I would imagine, later in the podcast series as well. But other schools wanted that, wanted this same approach. Um, a school called Colts in London, who we still work with now, actually. We've been working with them for, this is our 10th year of working with them. Um, they wanted to kind of plug our program into what they were doing as well. They saw the value of developing their young people to be resilient. Uh, and, you know, it was, which was pioneering at the time. And essentially, so we had the sport, we had the education and, you know, also we, we were working at university level education as well, working on things like PhD residential programs. So all the way through that, that educational journey, but essentially we recognize the importance of training parents in what, what their children were learning. So we'd always have parent training programs as part of our school programs and the parents essentially said this training is much better than anything we get at work so can you come into our businesses and uh, do this for us as, as well and that's what took us into the city of london at the request of, of the parents show, uh, introducing us to their employee their employers and in all that in there somewhere is where tougher minds emerged i think tougher minds really emerged after my first consultancy was called Performing Beyond Potential. Um, and Tougher Minds, I think, emerged after Monmouth. That very specific name and, you know, the rebrand, if you like. Um, so, yeah, that's a potted history of part of my life. <laughs>